be seated. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you uh, for the day. And uh, as we start uh, a new series today on the book of Ephesians, uh, I just want to pray that our hearts and our minds would be open uh, to what you want us to learn, what you want us to receive, and uh, that our lives over the next three months or so uh, would be different because we studied this book, uh, your book. We thank you again for Jesus. It's in his name we pray. Amen. There are some realities that forever change the way you see and interact with the world. Uh, Some of you had this experience with a health diagnosis, and you were like, well, I'm diabetic now, or I'm hypertensive now, or whatever the case may be, and so now I'm on this medication, I'm on this diet, I uh, practice my exercise in this way and in this routine. Uh, Some of you have experienced this with a relationship, that I'm married now or I have kids now, So now I'm like placing a person's needs above my own. I'm saving for things that I never thought I'd save for before, another person's education. I'm foregoing sleep, right? I'm I'm on this schedule that I never thought I'd be on before. Uh, Some of you have experienced this with home ownership, home ownership, Uh, and and you're saying, man, alive, I never knew anything about property taxes, I didn't care, and now you're ranting on Facebook uh, about the city to cater property taxes, stuff like that. Uh, And you know that every summer you're gonna have these two payments due, or you never even heard of escrow before, and now like you're obsessed with escrow and that whole thing. Uh, You never thought about home projects, but now it's just on your mind all the time. Um, We're we're gonna start off here. We're gonna be in Ephesians 1 today. And this is actually kind of one of the themes of a lot of Paul's writings, uh, but especially the book of Ephesians, that in light of these new realities that we're gonna talk about today, found in Christ, in light of these realities, Paul is going to teach us that uh, things are totally different. Because of the life of Jesus, the death of Jesus, and in particular, the resurrection of Jesus, that yes, it affects our future hope, to be sure, but it also affects our daily life. And this is what the book of Ephesians is all about. It's about how life is different because of the present realities found in Christ. Uh, Paul will call them the spiritual blessings that are found in Christ. Everything's different. Yeah, yeah, future's different. We're going to talk about that in this series too. Our future's different, but our daily life is different too because of Jesus. So let's see how Paul writes it in Ephesians 1. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, to God's holy people in Ephesus, the faithful in Christ Jesus, grace and peace to you from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will to the praise of his glorious grace, which he has freely given us in the one he loves. In him, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins in accordance with the riches of God's grace that he lavished on us. With all wisdom and understanding, he made known to us the mystery of his will according to his good pleasure, which he purposed in Christ to be put into effect when the times reach their fulfillment to bring unity into all things in heaven and on earth under Christ. In him we also were chosen having been predestined according to the plan of him who works out everything in conformity with the purpose of his will in order that we, who were the first to put our hope in Christ, might be for the praise of his glory. And you also were included in Christ when you heard the message of truth, the gospel of your salvation, 
when you believed, you were marked in him with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who is a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance until the redemption of those who are God's possession to the praise of his glory. So the Apostle Paul wrote this book to the Christians living in a city called uh, Ephesus, and he writes this letter from prison. It's a collection of works uh, that you'll hear sometimes referred to as the prison epistles, letters that Paul wrote from prison. And so Paul is going to start out uh, chapter one talking about all of the blessings that he shares with the Ephesian Christians, all of the blessings that he shares with them, the spiritual blessings in Christ. And he's writing about the blessed life from prison. You did not mishear that. Paul's gonna say, let's talk about all of the blessings that Christ has given to, to us. And he writes it from prison. And so I think regardless of your circumstance this morning, you are going to find the book of Ephesians very helpful and very encouraging. I don't want to discourage you right off the bat. We're we're actually going to be in this until, I don't even want to say it, but Christmas. Uh, We're we're going to be in in it until Christmas time. So one series between now and Christmas, I'm sorry. But um, Paul has so many encouraging words to us. So for instance, to the person here today that is concerned about your future, to the person today who is in a tough circumstance and you have no idea when or how it's going to change. Here's what you need to understand about Ephesians. Paul gets you. Paul gets you. Because as he's writing this book, he's concerned about his future. And he's concerned about his circumstance. And he doesn't know when those things are going to change. He gets you. And he's not going to do some crazy thing like make you accept that your negative, difficult circumstances are a blessing. He's not going to do that. He's not going to say, just accept everything as good. That's not going to be his message. His message is going to be that even in the difficult, even in the challenging, even in the hard times, you have these spiritual blessings in Christ. You have spiritual blessings that are found in Christ. They're not necessarily found in your circumstances. Paul's like, I don't like my circumstances. I'm in prison awaiting my own death. So I I don't like my circumstances, but even in prison, I can see that I have these spiritual blessings in Christ, in hardship, in, in in difficulty, in uncertainty. If we set our eyes on Jesus Christ, we will see these blessings found in him. So to the person here today, like I don't identify with that at all. Things are actually going pretty well for me. The job came through, the relationship's going well, everything's up and to the right, right? Paul wants to encourage us in prison, when, when we feel like we have these enormous other positive blessings, Paul wants to make sure that we do not miss in those seasons the spiritual blessings found in Christ. Paul wants, us to, wants to protect us from believing that these circumstantial blessings that are fine and good, he wants to, to protect us from believing that those are ultimate That those are the thing that life is all about when Paul is going to teach us that those circumstantial blessings are fine and good and it's good to want and hope for things. We'll talk about that in a minute. But they pale in comparison, Paul's going to teach us, to the spiritual blessings found in Christ. So in times of good, we're actually a little more prone to this. In times of good where it's like up and to the right, job's good, money's good, kids are good, everything's up and to the right. We all know that those seasons are a little bit few and far between, where just every single thing is good. But in those seasons, Paul would say, man, you're really prone to thinking that that's what it's all about. And it's going to be easy for you to miss the spiritual blessings 
in Christ. And he says to the person who has good things they want in the future, to the person who has things they long for and things they desire, Paul's going to remind us these are not the blessings to keep your eye on. It's fine to long for things. It's fine to want things. But there is a spiritual blessing Paul is going to teach us in Christ that is bigger than them, than them all. And those matter most because they are about eternity and relationship with God and how we are forgiven. So the gospel gives us these spiritual blessings in Christ. We're going to talk about this more a little bit later, but sometimes we get this attitude of, yeah, but, we're going to talk about this more a little bit later, but yeah, yeah, my sins are forgiven, my eternity is secured, I have the promised Holy Spirit, but I kind of have this thing I'm hoping for and longing for, and Paul just wants to remind us, of how good God has been to us and all the blessings we have. And there's a lot of them, so we're just gonna kind of plow through these a little bit. I'm gonna talk about each one, but I just want you to sit back and enjoy this thing, right? I don't know if it's a well-written sermon, but what Paul wrote was well-written. And, and so we're just gonna dive into spiritual blessings in Christ. And if you're here today and you're a believer in Christ, you buckle up, you enjoy the ride. And if you're not a believer in Christ, you, you sit here and be like, man, I, I want what he's talking about and it is available to you freely. Spiritual blessing in Christ, right? Here's what Paul says. He chose us to be holy and blameless in his sight, All right? So God chose us, you and me, to be holy and blameless in his sight. Now, let me explain this for a minute. There is no relationship that I have currently or in the past or in the future that somebody could come up here on the stage and in honesty describe me as a blameless person. Instead, there are people in my family that I love them and they love me, but they could describe a careless word that I said or a lie that I told or a time that I lost my temper. And you maybe feel the same way, that there are, just, there are no people in my life that would say, oh, Steve, he's blameless. Now, they love me and I love them and God has given us a way to kind of deal with our screw-ups and our mess-ups called confession and repentance and grace, but sin has affected every single relationship I have. Relationship with Cheryl and my kids and my church and my friendship. There is no one in my life that could describe me as blameless. And I know that's depressing, right? But let's take it a step further. If that's true in my human relationships, how much more must that be true with a holy, righteous, and perfect God? And that would be true except for the gospel. The gospel says that Jesus came and he forgives our sin. And did you catch what was said? It's still up on the screen for you. And we are blameless in his sight. The rest of your world may make accusations. Relationships might get messy because of our sin or theirs. But think about that truth. In God's sight, God who runs the universe, that God, capital G-O-D, right? I am holy. I am righteous. I am blameless in his sight. That I am blameless in his sight. The one who controls the universe, the one who holds your eternity in his hands, has figured out a way that you can stand before him and be blameless, without sin, perfect, holy and righteous, and it's because of Jesus, and it is a spiritual blessing in Christ. Hardship can't take that away from you. Cancer can't take that away from you. 
Difficulty can't take that away from you. This is a spiritual blessing in Christ that you are holy and you are blameless and you are righteous in the sight of God. Spiritual blessing number two. In love, we are adopted to sonship or daughtership. We can put that in there, right? We'll take a little bit of liberty, right? As an adopted dad, I love this. Having gone through that process for our kids, I love it so much because as you adopt, the first thing that happens is you have to make all of these decisions about how you're going to do it. And there are a lot of ways that it can be done. You, can, you have to choose an adoption agency, foreign or domestic, decide if you're going to go through the foster system or infant care. You have to make all of these decisions. And then after you make all of these decisions, motivated, motivated by love and a desire to start a family, after you make all of these decisions, now you have to take action. And part of the action is you have to cover the costs, right? And, and you have to fill out the paperwork and you have to do all of this stuff. It's really quite a time-consuming, and as you know, with the, the, the stereotype of adoption, expensive process. God had this love for mankind. And he wanted to make a way for you to be adopted into his family. And he decided first how it would be, how it would be done. And when I say he, I mean the Godhead, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. They decided how it would be done. Jesus wasn't forced to do anything. He lovingly and willingly went to the cross, freely. God decided what the gospel would look like. He decided when his son would come. He decided how his son would come. He decided how the son would die, how he would uh, pay for our debts and pay the penalty for our sin. He decided all of that stuff, and then there came a point where the cost needed to be paid. The cost of it needed to be paid. And in that moment, God took action, and he became a man, and he lived a perfect life, and he went to the cross so that our sins could be forgiven and we could be adopted into God's family. And he can call us sons and daughters and we can call him Father God. He predestined us for sonship, it says. And a lot of times we get hung up on this, that he predestined us for sonship because we think it means that he predetermined how we would respond. But I really think what the text is showing us is that God predecided the gospel. He predecided how and when and what it would look like and how it would unfold. He gave us his son. He gave us the gospel. He created in you and me a desire to be in the family of God. You are created with a desire for God. All of this happened, but you and I still have a decision to make. Do we want the thing that we were created to enjoy? You are invited into his family. He predestined that it would unfold this way. Do you want the thing you were created to enjoy? Do you want to be in God's family? Now make no mistake about the way God feels about it. The the little phrase in here that I read over all the time, honestly, I've read Ephesians 1 a hundred times and I've never noticed this phrase before, according to his pleasure and his will. You know, what makes God happy? You ever wonder that? What on earth could I give God? He's the ultimate dad. He has everything he needs, right? And if he doesn't have it, he just buys it, right? According to his pleasure and will. What makes God happy is people coming into his family because he's made a way for it. People being adopted into his family. What is his will? Like, what is the will of God? The will of God is that you would come into his family. He wants to be your father. He wants you to be his son. He wants you to be his daughter. This is according to God's pleasure 
and will. This is what makes God happy. This is what God desires for people to respond to his predetermined, predestined invitation to be adopted. This is part of his plan that you would respond. And that is a spiritual blessing found in Christ, Paul determined. Prison cannot take that away from you. Prison cannot take away your relationship to your father. Cancer cannot take that away. Hardship cannot take away. Financial strength cannot take that away. Job stress cannot take that away. This is a spiritual blessing in Christ. It's forever. In love, he has shown us glorious grace. Freely in the one he loves. Jesus has shown us grace. I love the definition of grace. I'll put it on the screen for you. Absolute freeness of the loving kindness uh, of God to men, finding its motive in the bounty and free hardness of the giver. So his loving kindness that, uh, is what allows our sins to be forgiven. His loving kindness allows us to know him as father. His loving kindness gives us eternal life. Grace is the loving kindness of God. And sometimes you'll see this scene unfold on TV or, or in movies, and it moves me every single time, where a person uh, has a sentence commuted, or they receive an early release, or sometimes someone will just choose to kind of uh, turn their back on, on, a, on a wrongdoing, which is not the gospel, by the way. The gospel is not God turns his back on our sin. The gospel is that Jesus gives us the son, and the son pays the penalty. But anyway, you'll see this scene unfold and usually something will be said like this, that you are receiving a fresh start. You are receiving a new beginning. Make the most of this opportunity. And grace is a gift that is given to you and I, but make no mistake about it, it is also a transformative responsibility. Grace is a free gift but it is also a transformative responsibility. You are forgiven. You have been given joy, hope, peace, and eternity. You can't earn it, to be sure, but you can be changed by it. And you can treat others differently because of the grace that you have been given. Closely tied to this idea of grace is another spiritual blessing. In him, we have redemption and forgiveness. Now, Israel would have understand redemption, I think, a little bit better than we do because they had this long-standing understanding of it from uh, this day they celebrated called the Day of Atonement. And it goes all the way back to the book of Exodus. And on the Day of Atonement, I, I thought about trying to reach out to a farmer and have a couple live goats on here, but I thought it would be weird. So um, they'd have two goats on the Day of Atonement. And each of these goats played a very important role, but they were both to be young goats, Male, healthy, spotless. One drew the short straw. One was the sacrificial goat, right? And you can kind of see where this is going. And with that goat, he would kind of stand there and the sins of the people would be read over this goat. Sins they confessed to. Sins they had told the high priest about. And he would just read the sins of the community. You'd never come to church again. Can you imagine how awkward this is? I'm, I'm going to read the sins of the people, right? Lying, stealing, adultery. You're like, who on earth do I go to church with? What, what, what on earth is going on? And they would just read the sins of the people over this goat. And then it was the priest's job. The priest would reach out, he would take a knife, and he would slit that goat's neck. And the blood would begin to run. And then the high priest would dip his finger in the blood. And he would put the blood on the atonement cover 
in the most holy place. And this was a direct parallel to the Old Testament when God had said, hey, we're going to we're trying to get God's people free. We're going to kill all the firstborns. And he said, but Israel, if, if you'll kind of sac- make a sacrifice and put the blood of that lamb on the doorframe of your house, the angel of death will pass over you. And it became known as a celebration of Passover. And so they would symbolize that. They'd kill that sacrificial goat, rub the, some of the blood over the atonement cover, and then this became known as substitutionary atonement. Very impressive Bible word you're learning today, Right? Substitutionary atonement, that God allowed for something or someone to substitute for you. So he'd read that sins over that poor lamb that had done nothing but wake up that morning. You imagine that poor goat, right? Today's going to be a great day. You've been chosen, goat. Yeah, I've been chosen. I'm going to be a sacrifice, right? Um, and the sins of the people would be read over that goat. His throat would be slit. And he would, God would allow that goat to die for the lamb of the people. Now, the other goat was known as the scapegoat. The scapegoat had a different purpose. The scapegoat would be on the left looking like, sorry, dude, right? Um, I'm glad it's not me, right? And uh, he'd be the scapegoat. And the same thing would happen. The priest would stand over that scapegoat. And the sins of the people would be read. You know, lying, adultery. Um, stealing, all of this stuff would be read over that scapegoat, and then they would release that goat into the wilderness. There were some stories about the Day of Atonement where the entire village would chase the goat into the forest or in, into the desert. They chased the goat there. And what it represented was this other big theological concept called expiation. And it teaches that there, God has allowed a way for sin to leave the building. God has allowed a way for sin to be dealt with, so it is no longer really a factor at all. And he has done this through substitutionary atonement, something could substitute in your place, but also the doctrine of expiation, that the goat has left the building, right? The goat has left the area. Sin has left the region. It has been dealt with, and this is the doctrine of expiation. It's how sin exits the camp, how it exits the equation, and this is what Jesus accomplishes through his redemption. That Because of Jesus, only because of Jesus, our perfect lamb, without fault, blameless, our perfect lamb allowed himself to be killed so he could stand in substitutionary atonement for us, but also so our sin would no longer be an issue before a perfect, holy, and righteous God. Sin had left the camp. Sin exits the equation. Grace comes. Forgiveness comes. And here's the good news. Prison can't take this away from you. Paul realized this. Cancer can't take this away from you. Difficult relationships can't take this away from you. This is a spiritual blessing in Christ that because of Christ, your sins are paid for and they have exited the camp. And you can now know God and worship God and be in a relationship with God. And this is so extraordinarily amazing because you you and I were created for that thing. In him, spiritual blessing. We're almost done here, but in him, we have wisdom and understanding. That part of what Christ accomplished was that he gives us an understanding. You know, all throughout the Old Testament, as you read those stories, we tend to be pretty hard on the Old Testament folks, but all throughout the Old Testament, they're like, what is God doing? 
He's made these promises. He's made these pledges to kind of Abraham and Isaac and Moses and all of these people. He's made these promises to David. He's made all these promises. What is he doing? What is he trying to accomplish here? And in Christ, it's like the light bulb comes on. And because we, we don't think about this very often, but in Christ, we get understanding. Oh, that's what he was doing. He was building a nation. He was creating a sacrificial system. He was giving us the priests. He was doing all of this so that one day we would understand Christ in all of his glory and all of his majesty. The light comes on because of Christ. And so because of Jesus, we can see what he was accomplishing through Abraham and Moses and David and the prophets that God was doing all of this stuff. And I'm like, oh, that's what he was doing. And don't underestimate that as a gift. That is an amazing gift because it makes sense of not just the New Testament, but also the Old. It is a spiritual blessing in Christ, but it also gives us confidence. I think it should give us confidence in what God is doing in our lives today. Because you and I both have these moments where it's like, God, what are you doing? Where are you? Are you absent? Is the light still on? God, what are you doing in my circumstance, in my life, with my family? God, I just don't get it. And we can think back to the all wisdom and understanding found in Christ and be like, oh, there was another people that felt this way one time. And they didn't get it, they didn't see it, they didn't understand it. And someday Christ came and was like, oh, okay. That's what God was doing the entire time. And it gives us confidence to know that when he allows hardship, for instance, he knows the whole picture and so we stay faithful. When times are good, that we don't trust our circumstances for our salvation, instead we worship, that we continue to worship him. When he tells us the best way to live, wisdom is found in him, and so we follow. And so it should increase our confidence to know that God had been at work the entire time through Christ. In him we have this deposit, last one that Paul talks about, that when Jesus left this earth and returned to heaven, our sin problem had been addressed. Our sins had been paid for. Sin had, the goat had exited the camp. But the world was still broken and fallen. That's just true. And part of the gospel, a huge part of the gospel, is that he left this broken and fallen world, but he did not leave us alone. He gave us his spirit, a deposit, guaranteeing our inheritance and giving us joy, hope, and peace, and power. So someday... God knows someday Jesus will return with fire in his eyes and a sword in his mouth and he will come and he will destroy death and Satan and disease and all of that stuff. He will return someday. But until then, understand this, he has not left you alone. He has not. He has left you his Holy Spirit. He has left you his church. God is with you, sustaining you, helping you, transforming you, encouraging you, and that's not nothing. Uh, one of the biggest theological questions is, why is God allowing this nonsense? Right? Why is God allowing the world to be broken and for people to be hurt and for there to be death and disease? And all? Why, why, God, why are you doing this? And the answer to that is you are on the exact same page with God. He agrees. You agree with him that someday it will be over. That's just not the part of the story we're in right now. But that chapter is coming. 
Someday it will be over and there'll be no more death or mourning or crying or pain. We're going to look at that text next week. Someday you and God will be, it'll happen. God's will will happen in that way. That's just not where things are right now. And so God in his grace, God in his mercy said, listen, I am not just leaving this as a broken and fallen place. I'm leaving and it's still broken. Sin's been dealt with. You can be forgiven of it. You can know me. You can worship me. Goat has left the camp. But until I return, I will give you my Holy Spirit. Member of the Godhead. I will give you my Holy Spirit. Something that people in the Old Testament couldn't even imagine. It's part of the mystery of what God was doing. I will give you my Holy Spirit and he'll help you. He'll encourage you. He'll empower you. He'll gift you to be able to do what I've called you to do, to be able to live the life I've called you to live, and just make no mistake about it. I have returned to heaven, but you are not alone. So given all of these spiritual blessings in Christ, given all of them, I think we want to guard, as I close here, I think we want to guard against some mindsets, American mindsets in particular. Paul didn't necessarily know a ton about these. There was a little bit of this in the first century, but some of these are American mindsets that we want to guard against that are going to keep us from being able to enjoy the spiritual blessings that are found in Christ. And so what are these attitudes? There's three of them. One of them is entitlement. Entitlement is a yeah, but mentality. It says, yeah, 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 the gospel, the Holy Spirit, those are fine, but, yeah, but. And it replaces the beauty and the majesty of the gospel with something less than. And it's like, yeah, 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 I'm, I'm glad the goat has exited the building. I'm glad that I'm able to know God. All of that's fine, but I kind of was hoping for a new house or a vacation or this thing, whatever it is. And it's fine to pray for those things. But we want to guard against an entitled spirit that keeps us from appreciating everything God has already done, right? He's given us his son. He's given us the Holy Spirit. He's done a whole lot. So we want to guard against entitlement. We want to guard against pride. Pride is an attitude that says, that keeps us from seeing everything that God has done because we believe we have earned it. That God has been good to me because I'm good. God has granted me these things because I'm holy. God has saved me because I'm righteous. I've been so good, so God has done so much for me. And it keeps us from seeing the beauty of Ephesians 1 that says, no, no, no. It's because of his great love. It's because of his unending grace. It's because of his incredible compassion that we, that, that he's done these things. It's not because of me or you or what we've done. It's because of who he is. So we guard against pride. And we guard against discouragement. We all go through discouraging times. It happens to everyone. But discouragement, the longer it goes on, the more it becomes a liar. And it starts to whisper to you and I, you know what, God's not been that good to you. God's not been good. Look at your current situation. Look at your current circumstances. God's not really been that good to you. And we want to guard against, discouragement can be such a liar. But it requires us to practice. Because we all find ourselves at times in these entitled, discouraged, and prideful places. And if we can have, the, the Holy Spirit helps us with this. If we can see it, we can own it. 
and we can turn away from it and we can turn our eyes back to Christ and have confidence in every spiritual blessing that comes from him. I love the image of the series on your bulletins. Um, it is a tree growing out of a rock. And I want, to, I want that image to kind of burn a hole into your heart and your mind that you are the tree, Christ is the rock. And there are so many spiritual blessings that come when, when we are centered on the rock. The tree is able to thrive and the tree is able to enjoy every blessing that comes from Christ. And, and so I want, it to, I, I want that image to become really powerful to us. Well, yeah, I gotta, I gotta stay in the rock. I've gotta stay in Christ and understand that I have, through Christ, I have received every spiritual blessing from him. And I'm going to guard against entitlement of like more. I'm going to guard against pride. I'm going to guard against discouragement. And I'm going to enjoy these blessings of man. My sins are forgiven. I'm not alone. My eternity is secured. The goat has left the building, right? The goat has exited the camp. My sin's been dealt with. And those are amazing spiritual blessings that come from Christ. It's forgiveness and grace and peace and joy and hope, and all of these wonderful things, but they are found in Christ. Let me pray for us. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for his grace. We thank you for every spiritual blessing found in Christ, that you have made a way, you have made a plan for us to be adopted. You have made a way and a plan for us to be forgiven. You have made a way and a plan for us to receive eternity. And we just want to thank you for that. That you've made a way and a plan for us to not be alone. You've given us your spirit. We want to thank you for that. And right now, everything going on in our world, all of those distractions, we just want to bask for a moment as we receive communion together in every spiritual blessing found in Christ that we get to call you dad. We get to be blameless in your sight. We receive grace upon grace upon grace. And right now, over the next few minutes, we just want to express gratitude and thanksgiving for every one of those spiritual blessings. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. We're going to receive communion together over the next few minutes, and it is an opportunity for us uh, to thank God for every one of these spiritual blessings that are found in Christ through his death, his burial, and his resurrection. So our, uh, our servers are going to pass it out. You'll find two cups stacked on top of each other. One has some bread representing the body of Christ given on the cross. The other has some juice representing uh, his blood poured out. And this is the, the kind of gateway moment of every spiritual blessing found in Christ that Paul uh, wanted to remind the Ephesians of from prison, from prison, right? And so he reminds us that even in difficult, dark uh, circumstances, we still have these blessings, and that's an amazing thing. So we're going to receive it together, and then you just hold on to those and spend some time in thanksgiving, thanking God for what he's done and what he's accomplished. I'll come back up in just a few moments, and we'll receive it all together as a church family. His body given for you. His blood poured out. God, we want to take a minute this morning and we want to offer up praise to you. Like Paul wrote, praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ 
who has blessed us in the heavenly realms with every spiritual blessing in Christ. Right now, we praise your name. We thank you. We're grateful for every single thing found in Christ and every single blessing. I know Paul didn't. Paul and other writings will hit on others. Um, so there, there's even more that we could have talked about. But right now, we're, we praise you. We thank you. We're grateful for all of those blessings found in Christ. For those that are here today that are discouraged or feel like they're in a prison or a difficult circumstance, I pray that your word has been encouraging to them, that there, there are these blessings, that they're not alone, and you, you will empower them and help them, and their eternity is secured, and their, it, their sins are forgiven. And for those of us, that, for those that are here today and things are just going so well, kind of up and to the right, I um, want to pray that we would not lose sight of the blessings found in Christ, that we wouldn't think circumstantial blessings our replacement for these spiritual blessings. Um, help us to never lose sight of what you've done through your son, Jesus. And it's in his name we pray, amen. We're gonna close with one last song of worship here in, in just a minute. Uh, after service, uh, after that song, there'll be a couple elders in our overflow area. They'd love to pray with you, answer any questions that you have um, about, about Jesus or um, placing membership at our church. Um, they just uh, love to meet with people over there. So if you want to wander kind of over there after church, uh, they, they would love to do that. Um, we're going to read, uh, we're going to be in the rest of chapter one of Ephesians next Sunday. Uh, Paul's going to talk to us about how what we talked about today, this was kind of the bedrock of really the entire book, honestly. But he's going to challenge us a little bit on our prayer life because what you are praying about kind of is an, uh, uh, an indicator of where you believe blessing is found and the blessing that you most want. And so I'll kind of have you think about um, what is it that I pray about most often? Uh, what, what are the things that I'm praying about? And Paul's gonna give us a few things to add to that list to, to pray about uh, spiritual blessings that are found in Christ. So go ahead and stand. We're gonna close with one last song. Uh, God bless you guys. Have a great week ahead. Oh, you're